0: I'm Articatos. And I'm Branagara. And this is What is Gallo's Polytheism? I'm super excited for this episode. For that, we should talk about the uh, events that happened between now and last month. We had our Grove Assembly, or the Camera Callias, in the Gall Chat Discord server. And it went really, really well. I'm a little disappointed in how my presentation went because of how unprepared I was. I didn't make any slides, and I saw that everyone had slides. I got really nervous. But no, that's know,
1: okay, though. So not weird. everybody, not everybody's going to have slides. It's not that big of a deal. You did just fine.
0: Much appreciated. I got so uh, like hyped up and nervous that I just blew through my bullet points that it was supposed to last about 50 minutes. Ended up getting done with the whole thing in maybe 25, 30 minutes.
1: <laughs> it's okay. It's you I get like... talking, and you get on a roll, and it just kind of...
0: Yeah, I got really excited because it's not often that I get an audience that wants to hear me ramble and go on and on about the Helveti tribe. So I got super excited and super nervous. And Nellis pointed out in the during the intermission that you know because I I work in like a factory setting that uh, I'm just kind of prone to blaze through my uh, my objectives and my, my tasks for the day. So all excuses aside, no, it was a lot of fun. Got some good questions afterwards. And then, of course, the other speakers were phenomenal. We had Bellanos who we're going to hear in a little bit. Um, Segomaros got some better equipment so we could actually hear him. I'm sure his internet kept cutting in and out, but still, really, really good session by Segomaros. We had others as well.
1: Nellos, and then we also had Morpheus Ravenna and Bronos.
0: Yeah, Morpheus always has something really cool to talk about, present, as as does Nellos and Kuno. Um, yeah, Branos, we got to um, watch him work and talk in his shop a little bit. Nice long discussion on smithing and crafting, just really, really cool stuff, as always with Branos.
1: I enjoy listening to Branos talk, mostly because he has this uh, fantastic tendency to just get on a topic and just go everywhere with it. And uh, I enjoy that. I enjoy listening to him talk.
0: It's always awesome to listening to Brando's talk because guy's definitely not shy at all. <laughs> no, he's <it's> not. The <laughs> best part about listening to Brando's talk is how often he uses the word chill because it's chill.
1: <laughs> because, uh, and it was chill.
0: <laughs> and sometimes things are not chill. And when they're not chill, that's not cool. <laughs>
1: And uh, our listeners will experience Branos on this podcast at some time, at some point in time, Um, and he is, uh, he's very entertaining to listen to.
0: One thing Branos and I have in common is that, while English is our first language, neither one of us are very good at it. But all kidding aside, uh, Branos is very, very wise and insightful, and his sites, the Karnushan Namaton, is great and filled with awesome information site, The Carnution Workshop. You can buy a lot of his crafts, divination tools, board games, like Toffle, all kinds of really neat stuff from there. Both of those can be found at galluspolytheism.com. He has a uh, ring on
1: there I want to uh, get.
0: I think I know which one you're talking about. My fiancé saw one on there that was like a, a little leafy looking thing and she's like, oh, I need it. <laughs>
1: uh, there's, yeah, it's a leaf one that's dedicated to Carnonos and he's been my patron for a decade and a half, so. I'm like, I want it.
0: Well, before we get any more sidetracked, uh, today we are talking with Bellanos Betuliknos. He is the uh, guy in charge of the Gaul Chat Discord server. He's the uh, head of the Tauta Colation. Really, really cool, uh, very smart guy. We thought he would be the best guy to uh, have on to talk about Gaul's Polytheism 101.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's a really great... Interview. Uh, I enjoyed doing it. Um, I, of course, asked some pretty basic questions, but you know, got to be there for people. Uh, he You're going to hear us refer to Cuno Bellinus as Cuno, uh, and that is largely because that is what we regularly call him, and it's much shorter than his Gaulish name.
0: <laughs> Cuno Bellinus essentially means Hound of Bell or uh, Hound of Bellinus. So when we say Cuno, we're basically just calling them Hound or Dog. Kind of like when people say Arto instead of arto they're just calling me Bear. Hey there, Bear. How's it going, Bear?
1: So go ahead and stick with us, oh. and we will be moving right into that interview.
0: We are here with Kuno uh, Bellinus Metulichnus, and uh, why don't you explain who you are, buddy? And
2: Hey, uh, thanks for having me, guys. I've been a Gaulish polytheist for several years. i've um, had my tour around tumblr and 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 wordpress uh, and I've currently been for the past while the administrator of the GaulChat Discord server as well as the current Ercobretos of Tutor Galatian since uh August of this year 2020
0: Can you uh explain what that uh what that role is?
2: Uh well the alcobretos is the chief magistrate of uh, tutigalation which is uh, an umbrella organization for all types of gaulish polytheists so it involves just a lot of you know admin work ideas and just getting people organized you know
0: the um the main topic at hand and the reason we have you here is uh, we're gonna go over very excited that we're doing this um just gaulish Polytheist one oh one what is gaulish polytheism
1: I'm going to go ahead and ask what's going to be probably a pretty simple question. Uh, in your opinion, what is polytheism?
2: Well, polytheism is kind of like a, an expansion on animism, which is a belief that there's spirits in all things where um, to the point where these spirits are much more significant and they are worshipped as, as deities. And there are many of them, you know, and the world's just filled with them. And while you may worship some and just acknowledge the presence of others, uh, you know, th- we're just ideas that were just surrounded by gods all the time.
0: In your opinion, what is Gaulish polytheism?
2: Well, you know, as they say, um, you know, you don't quite know something unless you can, you know, sum it up, uh, simply. So I'd say that Gaulish polytheism is the, 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 the practices and, and customs of, uh, you know, the people of ancient Gaul and and how they're uh, interpreted today.
0: Gaul is what is now France, Belgium, and Switzerland. And this is something I, I have heard a few people say, but uh, and, and this is kind of a rhetorical question, but would one have to be French, Belgium, or, or Swiss? Does bloodline matter, I guess, is, is is where I'm driving at.
2: Well, you know, there are like definitely modern ethnicities in those regions today. But you have to think about one, the fact that it has been over 2,000 years and just bloodlines don't really last that long. You know, they, they mix, they, they, they split off, they, they become unique in their own ways. Uh, but even then, the concept of Gaulishness didn't really exist. You know, the, the, the term Gaul was, you know, it's what Julius Caesar referred to that, that land of, the land of Gaul. When they don't – they didn't really see themselves as, as one people like in that same sense because
1: mm-hmm.
2: what is is Gaulish is basically a shared linguistic, cultural, and religious tradition which – even then, looking into it, these things can be very varied, and like there's no hard definition of what these three things are, you know, like, cause there's multiple Gaulish dia- dialects. Uh, every single time you would go to a- look at a different clan, household, nation, tribe, they have their own varied traditions and, and gods they venerate. And it's, and it's just this- the kind of idea that it, it just, it, uh, spreads from the from the Gauls to nearby cultures so over time like you know because they had such an influential culture they would they would influence others and and just more more and more tribes and peoples would become Gaulish and there was no kind of idea of ethnicity in that sense where it's just you know it's 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 the, those three tenets of is what makes a Gaul it's never it's it's like what language you spoke which go, uh, gods you worshiped what kind of customs you followed That's what really determined what kind of people you were Back then you know And just doesn't exist in the same way That we see it today because it's just much more Modern concept So you know There is no Gaulish bloodline In like there Never really was uh, if, if, if you do really want To look at it nitty gritty then there would be like You know many many different Gaulish bloodlines but at the same time Just the way that Gaulish custom spread was never through bloodlines generally. It was through just the influence of this, the very powerful culture that other people would look at and be like, hey, this is cool. I want to do it too.
0: I couldn't agree more. One thing I like to add when uh, that kind of question comes up is that when Rome came through and kind of assimilated, uh, and then after that, you know, the Germanic tribes—that also really <laughs> kind of muddies the bloodline thing because there was a lot of assimilation, intermarrying, and and you know all the types of different like you know, mixing of cultures, and it eventually developed to what it is today. So in a way, a Gaulish bloodline, like you said, never really was a one single singular distinct thing, but over time a modern bloodline doesn't exist, but at the same time if you are of northern European descent, odds are you have a Gaulish ancestor here or there.
2: Yeah. I mean I and mean, I mean that's very very true. Like like you said, like Roman uh Germanic uh like you know the uh, when like France in its early infancy would go in and, and like you know, assimilate the minorities very, very aggressively to the point of like wiping them out in some cases. You know the people living in the lands of France are. It is very, very difficult to trace uh, any of them back to Gaul's tribes. Even in you know Julius, bring going back to Julius Caesar again, he described that the people of Gaul uh, were, were were kind of aware of the fact, and even as much as proud of the fact that they were one part from the islands, one part indigenous, and one part Germanic. You know, like even going into that, the Gauls very much knew themselves as. As not a homogenous group, and it's just, that was just the way that their, 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 their culture was. It was never locked to any bloodline. It was freely shared with their trading partners and their allies.
0: Yeah, and I, I, and I wanted to bring this up because there are certain Facebook groups and uh, in, in just groups here and there, like on Reddit and whatnot, that, that think that bloodline is a requirement for spirituality. And I think all of us here can agree that that is absolute nonsense.
2: It's sometimes used as an excuse for racism, which is, if you look at it from a historical context, even very lightly, you'll see that that is bullshit. You know, this is a problem that is much, much more prevalent in Norse polytheism. But, you know, it does sometimes happen in Gaulish polytheism. But I feel like as a community, we've done a really, really good job to spread this kind of message that there is no such thing as Gaulish ethnicity. And, you know, just maintaining our values and and protecting our community from these types of racist individuals. And it's, you know, and as a result, we've built a very beautiful community. Absolutely,
0: yeah.
1: We've established that there's no specific bloodlines you don't require to be from X country to be a Gaulish polytheist. Now... With most polytheism, there is pantheons. There is pretty well-defined pantheons. Is there a Gaulish pantheon?
2: I mean, yes and no. There's a lot of Gaulish gods. There's almost 500 or over 500? Over 500. But, you know, you would go to any particular nation or tribe and ask them what gods they followed. You would get a very different answer. You know, they would have their individual pantheons for... You know, those nations, tribes, clans, even households, they would worship their own set of gods. But there was no sense of of an enclosed pantheon or hierarchy that you would see in the other European pantheons. It was very much, you know, loose, broad. Kind so of...
1: more tribal than, say, the Greek pantheon where Zeus is in charge and Hera is his sister wife uh and all of that or don't don't judge don't judge uh or with the egyptians or with like um odin being the leader of the norse pantheon things like that it's just it's more tribal
2: i yes, i would agree it's much more tribal however there are elements that seem to have been passed from like a you know, the common ancestor of proto-Indo-European polytheism of, like, the kind of, the lord giant slayer type god, you would see that in Tyrannus. And, you know, several other kind of roles that you could maybe fit into, like, similar, similar kind of hierarchies. But the thing is, is that that was never really uh, solidified. That was never really unified throughout Gaul. So it's like, there are the similar archetypes, but you know they didn't have that level of of hierarchy.
0: As you both know, I do a lot of uh, reconstruction with the Helvetii tribes specifically, and, and the various tribes of the Alpine region. Something that I've noticed is that certain certain deities will kind of pop up frequently. Uh, I think the biggest one is Sucellus; he kind of pops up everywhere. Ipona uh, pops up a lot between these different tribes. I think that's to like- be fair.
1: Ipona mm-hmm. pops up across everything European. <laughs> true true but uh i think that's the closest
0: thing to uh term i've used is like a universal gaulish deity and that only because i, I say that because they, they popped up in, in uh, across tribes whereas like rto is very specific Arduina is very specific peninos they are more centralized to specific regions rather than popping up all over the place like uh the you know Sokellos and epona and uh, lugus
2: Oh yeah there are like definitely a lot more uh popular gods where we would see them like ap- appear a lot more frequently in the inscription record but honestly at the end of the day we don't really know how widespread a lot of these gods were a lot of the time we can make educated guesses where saying's like okay well this god is this, the specific god of this tribe so it wouldn't really make sense for them to really be prevalent outside of this this tribe's area and then there are those ones, you say, like Sikelis, and there's also like Belinus and, and, and Tyrannus, who just kind of appear in a lot more places, you know. So the assumption is, is that, okay, well, we can easily say that these deities showed up a lot more. But, you know, there are examples of deities that we only see one or two inscriptions of, but, you know, we don't really know. They could have shown up a lot more. They could have been limited to a region. But yes, there are definitely, uh, there's definitely a distinction between, like, major gods that appear everywhere and more highly localized ones.
1: So if you're not basing, and I'm I'm sorry, I know I sound like I'm asking this as somebody who's not a Gaulish polytheist, I'm asking it for people who aren't Gaulish polytheists. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If you're not basing it on a living tradition like some of the insular Celt tribes, like the Irish and the Welsh and things like that, and you're not basing it off of the well-written-down history of the Greeks or um, the Egyptians, why reconstruct something when there's so little to go off of?
2: Well, I'm going to first open up and say that, you know, I disagree with the idea that there's little to reconstruct. When you look at things like the Roman or the Egyptian, you know, mythological cycles and, and pantheons, they don't really have to do much reconstructing. Uh, they just all have everything already. They just they just have it. But when we actually get into the the trend of reconstructing here in Gauss polytheism, you discover how much there actually is hidden in academic text. Uh, you can kind of discern through similarities in neighboring traditions. You can find a lot. You just need to you know have that patience and have that focus to work and look for it. And I feel it is 100,000 times more rewarding when you put this together. Not to say that you're a polytheist, you have to participate in this reconstruction, but there is an excitement in the building because it's like there's been a tremendous, tremendous addition in, in, in knowledge and in, in, in what we know Regarding the Gauls and their practices in just the past few years, where there's been information that has just been waiting to be found by anyone. Like you don't need to be like a like a professor doing studies at a fancy university. Just anyone to find. Uh, where you know Artacathos, I like using you as an example. Where you've <laughs> gone through the academic records and you found deities who are just being completely lost the time and just been waiting for people to rediscover them. And this is something that, you know, one, an ordinary person can do. And it is very exciting, especially in the community where you can know these people, even if you're not doing it yourself, you know these people who are putting the, like, the whole picture together. There's also a benefit of also not having a lot. You look at Gaelic polytheism they have a lot of, you know, not the judge or anything, they have a lot of, but they have a lot of difficulties agreeing on things because there is so much to look at for when it comes to interpretation. And then a lot of what they do know is recorded in the Christian era. So it's it's been more transformed. It's a lot of the kind of the original energy has been lost. So when it comes to Gaulish polytheism, we have almost you know we're we're almost free of this potential discourse by missing some of these things you know where it's not really necessary for us to have in order to practice and to worship but it it allows us to you know grow closer as a community and not grow apart
1: so with gaulish polytheism that more or less gaul was gone by the time christianization came along so it's virtually untouched by it correct
2: uh like for sure like uh of course, there was like you know there are there's arguments to be made of some pockets of some sort of like post Celtic traditions that, that kind of have a lot from the Gaulish era, but you know between the Romans and, and and the Germans moving in, like that was already gone. Which is honestly, in the long run, has been a positive thing because from what I understand, going back to Ireland as an example, where it's like yes, there are living culture but they have less to reconstruct from because they have stories of St. Patrick going along and intentionally destroying old pagan sites. So France, across France and and, 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 Belgium and Switzerland, we have a plethora of inscriptions of ruins of temples. We have things to be found in the earth while on the isles, they were intentionally destroyed much, much more recently.
0: To, to be fair, like when I was doing my research on uh, peninos he did have a, a, a Gallo-Roman era temple that was uh, destroyed by Christians. And actually, the Christian king—I I, want to say it was, wasn't Constantine. Anyway, a, a Roman emperor, I think, king—I don't know—a a very famous royal person actually applauded these <laughs> uh, um these looters for destroying the temple.
2: There you go. Where, yeah, of course, it still happens. Where, you know france there isn't any kind of surviving temple as you would see in greece and to like to any of that kind of for
0: the most part, you are right. They um, a lot of it is preserved. A lot of the inscriptions can still be found. Whereas, like you said, uh, over in Ireland and Scotland, a lot of it was mm-hmm. like destroyed by Christians, and there's a lot more, or it's it's a lot harder to find uh, um, evidence and inscriptions over there. Whereas in like mainly France, I would say, uh, and and probably parts of Belgium, a lot of the uh, there's a lot of uh, museums w- that are filled with um, very well preserved uh, artifacts that from I see.
2: For sure, like, and I would even go far, like, as to say, like, that these artifacts among the insular Celts were more than destroyed, they were eradicated. And it's such a mind-boggling idea that in France, you know, there are just inscriptions that are just, they are out in the open, you know, like, on the side of a road or, or kind of incorporated into a town.
0: It's, it's funny you say that, cause, uh, um, in, in a lot of my research, there again, Switzerland. Uh, I believe it's Everdan. Uh, there's a large gathering of monoliths that, uh, according to uh, um, some travel site, uh, it's it's there. It's, it's it hasn't been been touched. And uh, the the funny thing that I found is that it's kind of labeled as an inconvenience to get to because it's very it's very much out of the way. You Have to hike to get there.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm up I mean... for it. Let's do it. You've referenced insular uh, Celts, and uh, I've referenced in the past uh, calling Gaulish continental Celts. Can you tell us what the difference between insular Celt and a continental Celt is?
2: Oh, well, that's uh, that's that's simple. Uh, continental Celts are the, the, culture, the Celtic cultures found on the European continent, while the insular Celts are the main ones found on the Isles. So insular would be both kinds of Gaelic, Irish, Scottish, Uh, Brythonic, Irish Age, Brythonic, and all the descendant traditions such as Cornish and Welsh and Breton. And then Continental would include Gaulish and its many, many pieces you can break it down into (laughs) as well as Hispano-Celtic and like Celtiberian, which falls under Hispano-Celtic.
0: So even though, you know, as Gaulish Polytheists, we're still a fairly uh, small community, we have been growing a lot lately. I know that you personally have had a hand in uh, um, building a lot of uh, online, like kind of safe haven communities uh, for uh, the, the learning and teaching of Gaulish Polytheists. Um, I know there's the, uh, obviously, the Tauta Galatian Facebook page and uh, Gaulish Polytheist p- Facebook page, where I believe Sigamaros uh, runs that. I, I, know, I know you personally have put, like, a lot of work in the, uh, the Discord server. What's your opinion on, uh, on how these online communities are uh, growing and, and becoming more open to the uh, new and uh, up-and-coming Gaulish Polytheists?
2: A lot of the things, times when it comes to these types of online communities, you really have the right platform that suits your needs. Earlier on, when I was still, you know, a baby Gaulish polytheist, I was much more active on Tumblr. And there I actually had a Skype group where about a dozen or so of us would, would talk and interact in, in a Skype group. And, you know, those of you who know, you know, a single Skype group doesn't really leave room to grow as far as community goes. So I did, you know, make a, a Discord server when Discord was still also quite young and baby because it is, it was nowhere, nowhere anything anywhere near the, the kind of community hub uh, it is today as far as like features and everything goes. So, you know, for a year or two, that Chant Discord server was just kind of set, was very quiet, there was only about, you know, a dozen people on it. I was focusing on other things at the time, just renewed focus every little while and just having it open and having it present for people to come and ask questions, even if it was, you know, completely silent for weeks on end, someone new would come in interested, I would send them the resources I have, and it would, you know, you would go back to quiet again, but it's just like, you know, the most important thing about community building is having that community space available, and having it functional and, and working, you know, uh, like the current iteration of the Gold Chat Discord server is massive, and you know, as far as polytheist servers go, Discord, I've been around a couple of polytheist servers where general, like, pagan servers, you can get several thousand people in these discords but it's really hard to break you know a couple hundred people in polytheist servers so setting over 250 people that has been you know just been a a lot of work and, and hard work on everyone's part of just you know keeping the conversation going keeping people interested and it's just been a fantastic platform as far as you know getting people interested and active in gaulish polytheism i've seen other platforms for this there is the facebook uh facebook kind of has like the you know you kind of post people comment and you know that's worked for 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 them and you know like uh, i've recently been made a moderator of the uh the gaulish polytheism facebook community and you know it's much more quiet but there's a lot more people it's like 900 people so it kind of does really help get an idea of how many goals there are, but it's doesn't really provide that community aspect and the, that kind of sharing of ideas that we do see in goal chat. Um, I do want to give a quick shout out to the amino server. um, Well, the amino chat, which is therefore college polytheism. And it really helps get like the, you know, like the, the younger generation who are exploring polytheism, you know, like, you know, like, Older teenagers. Well, most of us in uh, golf Chat are over the age of eighteen, but uh, it provides that kind of you know that that space for them that works to their level of you know the, their their type of communication. So you know there isn't really any kind of in person spaces for gals right now, but just having those multiple spaces: Facebook, Discord, and Amino attracts different kinds of people who all share something in common. So I feel like just the online spaces as they kind of become more suited for online communities, it really helps the community grow as a whole.
0: Just recently, I mean, we've already had uh, two uh, Gallic conferences and we just had the the Grove Assembly a couple weeks back and still a little embarrassed of how quick my presentation went but i was still happy with it and it seemed to uh do, it seemed to have done really 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 well i i, I mean uh we had segamaros on there you were on there branos was at his ford talking about a bunch of cool stuff it was very very cool to see how in the short time i've been in the server how we went from yeah you know, it was just a small little chatty group to you know we have our own like you know our own grove assembly now no small part in uh, you know to you there buddy
2: it's it's always been uh, like a group effort by everyone And I definitely feel as we grow, our rate of growth is, you know, exponential. It has been truly a beautiful snowball effect to witness. Years ago, I would never have have dreamed of of something like we did with the Camryton. Uh, And it just worked out so well. And I look forward to more of those. You know, the idea is that as we get more and more passionate people in the community, we're going to be creating more and more beautiful things, you know, we got the, we got your, you got your podcast up and running. Uh, we have that, the assembly to the has really kicked itself up a couple notches. You know, it's just like the community is really shifting into faster and faster gears as we're all kind of working together towards our shared goals. And it's, it's just, it's just been wonderful to watch for me as well because you know before you joined the community things were definitely a lot slower and I'm not saying it's all part, it's all because of you but uh, just to say <laughs> the point where you know it's the in the past year year and a half where we have really really gotten our pace going and I look forward to continuing this pace.
0: Yeah, no, I I just got lucky. I showed up at the right time and that's when everything started picking up. It it, it had nothing to do with me. <laughs>
1: She's a charming personality. Oh, yeah, charming. <laughs> <laughs> Even in the last six, nine months that I've been here, which I think is six or seven months, just from what I've joined, it's grown exponentially.
2: For sure. I mean, uh, Sager Mouse did a wonderful job creating and, and maintaining and growing Galation from its inception, because Galation is actually not that new. I think it was 2016 when it started. But I feel like with Sigur Maro's kind of passing the torch on to us, uh, we've been really able to kind of take his vision to brand new heights, even just in the f- past few months since uh, the election in August and uh, myself and Branos were elected to the Excellos, the high council of Tudigalation. We have done some pretty amazing things and I look forward to continuing the year and just, you know, mm-hmm. more and more out and, you know, when the February meeting comes along, I do intend to announce that I will be running again. It's been fun, and it's been stressful, but it's been fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, thank you so much for being on and, and hanging out with us and, and talking, and we'll definitely have you on later on down the road as we...
2: Uh, uh... Forge forward. forward.
0: Yes, yes. Um <laughs> Blazing trails. Uh, we'll have you on some more. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on here, Kuno.
2: It was a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing uh, Galcast grow and uh, you know you up in your quality with every episode. So have a good one.
1: Me too. All thank right.
0: you. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Kuno Bellinis. I know we had a good time hanging out with them.
1: Yeah, um, it was it was enjoyable. Uh, what,
0: for the virtue this episode, we are covering oigeto caria, or oigeta caria. This means hospitality, guest friendliness, generosity. Ranagara, what does this virtue mean to you?
1: So for me, a lot of what this means is making sure that you're hospitable, that your space is is comfortable for everyone, but also that it's comfortable for you. Because if you're not comfortable in your space, nobody else is going to be comfortable in it either. And guest friendliness, hospitality, generosity, guest friendliness really is, does mean that your guests should behave themselves while they are in your space. And it's our job to enable a safe space for them.
0: In a historical context, hospitality was a cardinal virtue. Uh, Whether it's in Gaul, Greece, Rome, Scandinavia, Germany, hospitality was a very big deal. Off the top of my head, various Greek myths, hospitality is One of those things right under hubris that will piss off the gods. In the Havamal, which I believe is in the Poetic Edda, we have various parables, stories, um, all things all relating to hospitality and how that was paramount in the uh, Norse culture. Across cultures, hospitality was a very big deal, both as a guest and as a host.
1: Hospitality and behaving yourself both as a guest and as a host is found across almost all cultures anywhere in history for the most part as we know it today it, as hospitality and hospitality management in like the commercial sort of sense that started in the 16th century after the French Revolution but the sort of hospitality we're talking about in a historical context is going to be something that spans across almost uh, in some form or manner across all cultures throughout history. It's been around for thousands of years.
0: Hospitality was a social construct that um you did not want to violate that. Either as a, you didn't want to be a bad host, you did not want to be a bad guest. That was something you did not want associated with you, you did not want that tagged along to your name.
1: No, like you want to make sure your guests are comfortable you want to make sure that uh, you extend your help to them, make sure that you know they know you enjoy their company, give them personal space, make sure you pay attention to the details, things like that. Uh, and in return, they frequently would bring gifts to give the host for letting them stay there. It's just kind of one of those things where it's in return, they're well-behaved, they speak to you respectfully, they conduct themselves in your home respectfully. There's, you know, generally people don't, uh, aren't violent. They uh, Violence was discouraged. Kind of loud arguments or yelling at each other, which is basically verbal violence was also discouraged. So it's just kind of one of those things where it's a give and take with hospitality. You provide them with this safe place to be and ensure that they're comfortable and happy. And in return, they basically are on their best behavior.
0: In more of a modern context, and I'm going to admit a bit of a guilty pleasure here, But I like to go on YouTube and Facebook and check out these Karen videos. It's It's absolutely horrifying seeing full-grown adults going out and acting a fool. They're essentially breaking that social contract we've just been discussing. They don't show uh, or get to caria uh, in any way. They're out in the world, technically guests in uh, private businesses, uh, public areas, and just violating hospitality generosity guest friendliness there's there's none of that there
1: they are and a lot of it is because that social contract has for the most part been transferred from what it used to be into a more modern state where even more recently where it is the the guest the the customer is always right the guest is always right except for that's not true if someone's coming into my home to stay with me And they behave poorly and they're nasty and they're demanding and they're just, they don't appreciate that a home has been opened up to them. They're gone. They don't even get to stay for any length of time. I don't care if they're family. I don't care if they're friends. I don't care if they're strangers. If they're not going to be appreciative of the fact that I've opened my entire home to them and my personal life and my family to them and make, to make them comfortable and they're going to be terrible. They're, they're leaving. They don't get to stay. And that goes for any space that I'm in.
0: And that's a situation that I've had to deal with before. Being a host, I've had uh, in-laws or friends or just people over, and they're rude. Whatever the circumstances are, and I've had to ask them to leave. It's not a great conversation to have, but it's one I've had to have because it just becomes a toxic environment. If you have someone being an inhospitable guest in your home and being a guest, I, I can think of a few occasions where I've been visiting family and maybe I've gotten in a fight with a sibling or uh maybe a, a a relative and I have disagreed on something, and if I'm feeling unappreciated and um looked down upon or whatever the case may be i'll leave and I've done that before I've just straight up left and felt no regret about it and sometimes this is what you have to do
1: i and I've been in that situation as well it's it's a difficult one to be in as a- as a younger adult i I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. And now that I'm, you know, coming up on 40 uh, I'm at the point in my life where I'm like, no, I don't need to put myself in this environment and nobody needs to put themselves in that environment.
0: It's like you, what you said before, as the host, your job is to create that safe space. And as the guest, your job is to maintain that safe space. It just doesn't make any sense why people would go into a safe space and disrupt it and make it toxic and makes it make it unsafe and unbearable for the people there.
1: I don't know some people man some people.
0: This can also be applied to um, the whole COVID mask thing and anti-maskers it's still part of that social construct it's a simple thing to wear a mask to keep others safe because you're respecting and honoring people around you people you don't know and to you know, for whatever reason, not wear a mask and and spread the disease around, it, you're just being a, a thorn in the side of society. You're endangering your tribe. It's not okay, and it's like I don't like wearing a mask, but I have to to keep my family safe, to keep my coworkers safe, to keep my friends and family safe. It's it's all part of being in that tribal setting.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and, and that is that is very true. Now, with the generalizations aside, how do you apply this to your practice as a Gaulish polytheist?
0: As a Gaulish polytheist, like I said before, hospitality is one of those key virtues that you see in a lot of different cultures, a lot of different mythologies, the Havamal, various myths and legends. So when, when you apply or to your personal practice, you are honoring the gods in that way hospitality, respect for your tribe, respect for society it is a way to honor the deities, the day whatever deity you follow. That's how I see it, at least. How about yourself, Brenagara? Uh,
1: Much the same way for me, being able to have a place to offer and open up and be able to give people that place where they can go that is a safe space for them as whoever they are, for me, honors all of my deities. It honors all of the joy, and that's how I try and work it in. It is often very patience trying for me because generally I'm not a person who likes to be around other people. I am very much an introvert who spends most of my time alone. So for me, it's hard because I do have to open up for it.
0: I'm not really a people person either. I'm very much introverted myself because of my work and other things. I I do interact socially with people. I would prefer to just do what I do now, which is be social online because that way I can just click off. There's not a whole lot of awkwardness. But um, that's neither here nor there. I live in a tiny town in Washington and I do not really know anyone in this town. But I am still hospitable, I'm still kind, I'm still generous, I show respect. And I I try to keep my town and my tribe essentially, whether I know them or not, they are my tribe. They are uh, part of the, I am part of the society. And I I try to help it, benefit it, keep it safe.
1: I agree. I think that about sums up episode three for us. Please remember to uh, tune in on the 15th of every month. That's when we release our episodes. Uh, Episode four is is coming up is going to be the more you know, who were the Gauls, a brief history. You can find our socials. Twitter is Gallcast Podcast and Facebook and Instagram are both just Gallcast. You can also find us at gallcast.com where you can you can find a link to our Patreon. Uh, also thank you to our very first Patreon patron, Jay Internus. We appreciate your support. Thank you so very much. You'll also see all of our socials down below in the description for the for the episode, uh, as well as a link to our Patreon. So uh, we look forward to See you guys again next month and thank you for joining us
0: thanks again and thank you jay turnus for grabbing a very first patreon patron whatever that word is
1: hello everyone
0: auto here i i felt the need to put a little disclaimer in this episode we uh we recording the night of the 13th knowing that we had a very limited window to get the episode wrapped up for the 15th and uh, normally i have a backup mic Just in case the uh, Discord bot did not record me very well, which is exactly what happened. And lo and behold, I forgot to set up my backup mic. So, uh, you're going to hear a lot of weird audio. Um, I had to re-record as I went through the day today, the 14th, because I need about a day to edit uh, the recording. Um... So I we weren't able to just sit down and re-record it. Uh, a lot of organic stuff, I just didn't want to ruin it either. So I just replaced my end of the audio because Breno Garo's was just fine, which was uh, very beneficial. Um, so you're going to definitely hear background noise from my work. You're going to hear uh, uh, my kids playing music in the background here and there. Um, so just, yeah, forgive me for the poor audio quality on my end. I fixed it as best as I could uh but uh you know it was, it's still a good episode i'm still really excited for it uh i'm really am uh uh hoping that you guys receive it well despite kind of the weird audio issues I ran into but you know it is what it is, and i'm still proud of it um uh so without further ado, enjoy the show everyone. Mm-hmm.